Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. One of the things I love, uh, and parents, you'll understand this, one of the things I love about my two girls, I have a, a I don't remember their age, uh, 12 and 9, yeah, they get birthdays and I forget. Uh, one of the things I love about them is they don't argue at all, you know? Parents, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, like our kids are so obedient and, uh, you know, they would never like slap one another or pinch one another. If they do happen to like bump into one another, like my you know, one daughter is just quick to say, you know what, bless you, sister. Um, you know, I love you. Uh, I know maybe you're in a hurry because you had a bad day. Maybe you have a lot in your mind. I understand that. And I just, I love you. I bless you. Like, that's how your family works, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Um, or maybe not. Maybe somewhere deep in all of us, and it's not very deep, it's not very hard to find, is this desire for retaliation. Right? Because here's what I hear in my house. Well, she did this to me. And if we're a little bit honest, adults, are we not exactly the same? Luke chapter 6, I believe um, some of the most difficult teachings of Jesus, maybe today um, the most difficult teaching of Jesus. He has a word for these people that are around him. And so what, so what happens, he's, he's doing this sermon, he's giving this sermon, and he has this group of people around him. There's this group that his, are his disciples, his followers, there's this group that um, are not sure yet. They're, they're taking him in. Do I want to follow this guy or not? Then you have your skeptics on the outside. You have your haters on the outside. So there's all these people, and Jesus is up teaching them. And I, and I believe, and Luke tells us, he's specifically talking to his followers, his disciples. He's teaching them what it's going to look like to live the way he is telling them to live, which is the way that God wants them to live. And his words are hard. They were hard 2,000 years ago, and they are hard today. So if your feet are sticking out, you might tuck them underneath your chair because I'm going to step on them today, and I'm going to step on my own. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, you guys should know this by now. If you're the, the group of, of followers that Jesus is talking to, when he says, love your enemies, who just came to your mind? Okay, let me try it again. All right, that's all right. Good morning, Hill City. Welcome. I'll start my sermon over if you'd like. <laughs> when Jesus says, love your enemies, to a group of first century Jews, who are the people that came to their mind? Rome. Rome is who came to their mind. Because the nation of Israel is an occupied nation. They are under, um, they are conquered by Rome. If you do a little research, Rome is not a fun nation to be conquered by. Romans are killing them. The Romans are, are, are putting them in prison. The Romans are taking them to a little place called the Colosseum and making them um, their entertainment. The Romans are taxing them. If you're a Jew, you hate Rome. And here was the belief at the time among Jews. You can even see some of this reflected in the Old Testament. The belief of the time was, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Israelite. Hate your enemy. As a matter of fact, if you read the Psalms, there's several places in the book of Psalms where the writer kind of pats himself on the back for hating his enemies. 
And Jesus comes along, and if you want to read the parallel to this, it's in the book of Matthew. Jesus comes along and he says, you've heard it said, hate your enemies, love your, love your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. So this is what's important as we look at a passage like this. You can never forget this. We always have to try to understand this passage within the context in which it's given. So that's what we want to do today. We want to say, what was the context that Jesus gave these words? Who was he talking to? And now, what could that look like for me living in 2018? But can you imagine the words of Jesus? Can you imagine the sting of that? You, you want me to do what with my enemies? To, to roam? Love them. He keeps going, verse 28. He's going to unpack, well, let's talk about what this looks like. So love is the call. Love your enemies. Verse 28, here's what it looks like. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now the book of Matthew will also add another one. Um, if they want you, if someone tells you to carry um, a pack one mile, carry it two. Verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. So again, primarily here's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to a group of people telling them, here is how to live in the reality of which you're faced, which is you are a conquered nation, Rome is in charge, they can do whatever they want to you. Here's what's going to look like to live the way God wants you to live in your situation. And then I think he's talking to all believers, which would include us, saying there is a mark of a true believer. And there is a default setting of humanity. And I don't know about you, but my default setting when someone wrongs me is not bless you. My default setting is self-preservation. It's revenge, it's retaliation. And I believe Jesus is pointing out to that default setting in our hearts saying that is broken and there's a better way. There's a new way. There's a way of God. And that way is love. So let's try to understand this in Jesus' day. And so here's what I'm gonna do today, just so you know, I'm not gonna tell you what this looks like for you in your life. I believe if you're, if you're a follower of God, you have the spirit living inside you, he will tell you that. But what I'm gonna help us try to do, I hope, is understand what it looked like for those believers, because Jesus tells us exactly, and then to ask the question, invite the question, God, now what about me? So here's what Jesus tells them. You're, you're a Jew, and you own a farm, a little plot of land, about six acres, and maybe you have a little patch of cabbage, and that's your livelihood, and I always have the, the, the old West movies or the, the historical movies in my mind. You know, you always see the little, farm, the little homestead and the dad's out front like chopping wood or doing something. Kids are in the house and you guys know the movie scenes. Like all of a sudden he looks in the horizon and there's the posse rolling up, right? Whether it's, whether it's cowboys or Indians or Nazis, or it depends on your movie, whatever it is. It's some bad guys, right, rolling up. And he always like sees them in the distance and he goes in. He tells his wife, you know, go take the kids, go hide. You guys have the image? And he sees this group of people rolling up, and it's Levi, the tax collector. Now, here's the deal about Levi. Not only is he a tax collector, but he's a Jew who's turned his back on you, and he's now working for the enemy. He rolls up, and he's got a few Roman soldiers with him. Levi's job is to collect taxes um, from you to give to Rome. You are taxed 
way beyond what we experience now, way beyond. And he rolls up and he says, hey, I'm here to take a look at your place. And you say to him, listen, I've already paid my taxes this year. And he's walking around and he's saying, well, this is new. I don't remember that from last year. This wagon, have you paid taxes on that? And I don't remember this over here. And he just starts adding on to your bill. And as a, as, a, as a Jewish peasant, you can barely feed your family anyway. And all this fear of like, oh no, what's going to happen? He's going to take my money. He's going to take more from me. And you, you say to him, listen, uh, Levi, I, I can't give you any more. My family won't eat. And Levi goes, shut up. Boom. Slaps you across the face. What do you do? So you can imagine, you get knocked down because it totally took you by surprise. You're down here, you're trying to get your, your wits about you. And every bit of me, my fist would, would clench, right? Like back to the future with Biff, you know, when he puts him down, they're like, it's Finch. Like every bit of me wanted to just jump up and retaliate, but you got Roman soldiers there. Guess what, they, they're wanting you to do that because now they go break your legs. Okay, Levi, the tax collector, slaps you. You're down on the ground. Do you curl up in a fetal position and beg, please don't kill me, please don't kill me? Here's what Jesus says. Stand back up. Look him right in the eye. Say, you want another one? Like, we'll, we'll, will hitting me again fix something in this situation? So it's not automatic aggression because you can't do that. Nor is it cowarding and running away. Here's another one. He says, bless those that curse you. So you're a, you're a Jewish person. You decided you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And now there's a group of you in your town that are following Jesus. It's widely known that you are following him. And you walk in front of the synagogue. And all of a sudden, a group of Pharisees, these religious leaders, kind of come out. And they kind of surround you. Kind of like boy, bullies do to, to you know, weaker, uh, weaker boys. They surround you. And they start like prodding at you, poking at you. Like, you fool. I can't believe you let this Jesus guy talk, and they just start cursing you and poking at you and prodding at you. What do you do? Because they want you to retaliate. If they can get you fired up, that's what they want. Here's what Jesus says. Bless them, because they aren't expecting that. And if you're cursing someone, and all of a sudden this word of like blessing comes towards you, does that not throw you a little off guard? Does it kind of take a situation and de-escalate it a little bit? Or he says this, if someone's abusing you, pray for him. So when Saul the Pharisee decides he's gonna stamp out Christianity and he comes to your village and he hears you preaching the gospel and he drags you outside the city to kill you. Now that's, come on, Hood, that's an extreme example. Um, Acts chapter seven guy named Stephen. When they heard these things, that Stephen preaching the gospel, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this is after Jesus has died and, and resurrected and gone back to, to the Father. Verse 56, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, 
They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him. When they cast him out of the city, they stoned him. I wish I could tell you what that was like, um, but there's young children here. It's a brutal death. This is one blow at a time, slowly losing consciousness. They took him out and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at a young man named Saul. You know him as Paul. And as they were stoning him, as they are pounding his head with rocks, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knows he's dying. As he's losing consciousness, the last words he says of falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against him. When he said that, he fell asleep. Pray for those who abuse you. See, Jesus is speaking to a group of people and he's giving them real life examples on what they are going to face and what they are facing. And he's teaching them what this kingdom of God looks like. And that kingdom looks way different than my kingdom because my kingdom says retaliation, retaliation. So he says, someone's cursing you, find a way to bless them. I've been cursed. My automatic is cursed back. You've been abused, pray for those that are abusing you. And you're like, wow, wait a second. How would I do that? Because there's this understanding that someone that's abusing another person, that person is broken. Like abuse If someone's going to abuse someone else, that person that's doing the abusing, their heart is broken. Most likely they've been abused themselves. And that shame and anger and all that is just coming out against someone else. So Jesus is saying, look through the action here. Get to the heart and understand their heart's broken. Pray for them. Side note, if you're in a relationship and a marriage and you're being abused, you need to get out of that and come get help. That doesn't mean... Why is you sit in an abusive home? Again, we have to be, we always have to say, let's, let's understand the context. He says, if someone takes away your cloak, give away your tunic. Now that doesn't mean much to us, but here's what, so, so your cloak was your outer garment. So most Jews would wear this like outer garment, this gown. A lot of times they would cover up with that at night. That would also be their blanket. And at any time, a, a Roman soldier could go up to you and say, hey, boy, Give me your cloak. And what are you going to do about it? Again, if you don't give it to him, he's ready for that because he needs a little fun. He'll just beat you. So Jesus says, hey, if he asks for that, give him your tunic. You know what his tunic is? It's your underwear. And I can imagine, <laughs> believers, this Roman soldier says, hey, give me that, boy. And you're like, well, hey, don't just take that. <laughs> Have these two. Like, like, will this, will these, will they, will they fix that appetite for more that you have? See, Jesus is teaching his believers to forget about the surface and get to the heart. But the point of this passage, again, we can get way down the weeds on what it looks like to slap the... The point of this passage, he tells it at the beginning and he'll come back to the end. The point of the passage is... Love your enemies. That's his point. And all these are examples in their day of what it looked like to love their enemies. 
So the call, love your enemies. Now, this can be hard for us now, so we take these words of Jesus, want to put them in our context. Okay, love your enemies. What does that mean? And part of the problem is for our, in our English language, we have one word for love. So I love pizza. I love my wife. I love football. I love this church, but they're not the same. Now, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, there are several words for love. Let's put some on the screen here. Okay, so the, the first word is storge. That is like this affection and fondness for someone. That's when you see someone that you just really care about and your heart just like, oh, I just I have such an affection for them. My children, my wife, my friends. You have eros or eros, um, eros, I don't remember exactly how to say it. That's like that romantic love. That's like sexual love. That's where we get the, the word erotic comes from that Greek word. I don't think Jesus is saying that about your enemies. There's another word. Philly, filet, brotherly love. It's where, uh, it's where our term Philadelphia, the, the city of Philadelphia comes from. The city of what? Brotherly love, which they're not, if you've ever been there, they're not friendly at all. So they need to, re, they need to rename their city the city of jerks. I don't know, something like that. But that's where that came from. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, he doesn't use these words because he doesn't say to you, hey, if someone slaps you, you need to stand up and have this just great affection for them. He doesn't say, if someone slaps you, you need to be their friend. And you need to say, hey, let's just, get, that felt good. Let's go get coffee together and sit down and become buddies. It's not the word he uses. And this is why this can be confusing for us when we hear the term, Love your enemies. Here's the word he uses. You guys know what it is? Agape. Agape means sacrifice. If you've ever been to a wedding that I do, I talk about this word in every single wedding I do because we see the phrase, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love agape, sacrifice. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, the word that is translated is agape, which means sacrifice. And this is important because it's an important distinction because Jesus is saying we have to have these warm, fuzzy feelings about our enemies. He's not saying that. He's saying you must, the mark of the Spirit on a believer is not self-preservation, but self-sacrifice, agape. That's his point. And so when the tax collector slaps you and the soldier steals your tunic and you're cursed by the Pharisees. He's not asking you to, to whip up this fake emotion of, oh, I just love you so much. He's asking you through tears and through anger and through your face being red and through every bit of you want to retaliate. He's asking you to die to yourself and say, agape. I don't like you right now, but agape. Every bit of me wants to just Agape, that's what he's asking us to do. Love your enemies. Now some of you say like, man, that's weak. That's just weak. You're, talking, you're telling me if someone slats me, I can't do anything? That's just weakness. I might argue it takes an incredible amount of strength and courage to make that your response. That just a self-preservation, I'll get you back, doesn't require much strength. 
What would our human relationships, what would our communities, our churches, our families look like if believers started really wrestling with what does it look like to love agape those around me, specifically those that are opposed to me? If you ever studied uh, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, his um, his uh, movement of nonviolence to end the oppressive, uh, the, the oppression that blacks were facing in the 50s, 60s, his whole movement was based on this one word, agape. I mean, that, that's what he talked about. We have several sermons or several talks that he did that our, that our country knows about. You know, I have a dream. Most of his talks were sermons. And most of his sermons were about this idea of agape. And here's what, here's what his Dr. King described this idea of nonviolent love, agape resistance. He said this, a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. Keep that up there for a minute. Look at that. A courageous confrontation of evil. I love the words courageous, not weak, courage confrontation. Here's what he's not saying, and you can see this in Dr. King. They don't run. They don't hide and just say, well, that's how things are. I just can't. No. We're going to confront it. We're going to confront it in a different way. It's going to be confronted with agape, sacrifice, because nothing disarms evil and infuriates evil more than when we take their power away. And it's taken away through agape. Now, I, I know we, we, live in the, we live in the Midwest, man. There's more guns owned in here than there are, you know, kids, I'm sure. I mean, they're like, are you telling me, Hood, I can't have a gun in my house? Protect? I didn't say that. I, I don't think Jesus is saying ultimate passivity where we can do nothing ever. And if a, someone breaks into your home, men, may, maybe you need to protect your family. However, I would say this, I think there are times when Jesus might ask us to lay down our life. Now again, I'm not gonna tell you when that time is. But maybe in doing so, there's a bigger story going on. Let me tell you a story. Some of you have, have heard this story before. Anyone, anyone seen the movie, End of the Spear? Heard the story? Raise your hand if you've seen it or heard of it. If you haven't, uh, write that down, End of the Spear. Not sure if it's on Netflix or not. You may have to rent it on iTunes, sorry. End of the Spear. It's a story, it's a movie of, of a story about um, five missionaries uh, in the, I believe in the 50s or 60s. I can't remember which one. Uh, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, th three other guys. And what was going on is there was a tribe in the jungles of Ecuador called the Wadani. And these Wadani were, a, were a, a tribe that's in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. They're cut off from civilization. They're, they're a violent tribe. They carry spears. They're always at war. And what was happening is some oil companies had purchased the rights to this land to go drill oil. But this land was, had been occupied and, and the Wadani had lived there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so this oil company had purchased from the government rights to go in and drill oil. But as they were trying to do that, this Wadani tribe kept killing them. They kept attacking them. And the Ecuadorian government started to look at this and say, what do we do with this problem? And they made up the decision that they needed to go in uh, military, military and just wipe out the Wadani because they can't be pacified, like can't control them. This group of missionaries found out about this and said, will you give us an opportunity to go in? 
And so these five, five men, um, one of them being Nate Saint, which if you'll put the picture of him up on there, go into this Ecuadorian jungle to try to make contact with this group of people called the Wadani. And they have a plane that they would fly in on a gravel bar uh, on, along the Amazon where, where they, could, they could land their plane. And they just showed up there on this gravel bar hoping to make contact. They had no idea what to expect when they got there. And after a few days of waiting, 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 finally they look up and all of a sudden, like, here's a Wadani person. I think it was a woman. And they start having an interaction. Of course, they can't, they can't hardly speak the language, maybe a little bit of it. And over the next few days, what happens is they start to develop a relationship with these people. And more of them start to come out. And here's a picture of Nate Saint on a gravel bar uh, with a little model airplane. And he's kind of showing them how his airplane works. They even get one of them. One of them asked to go up in the airplane. So they take him on a ride in the airplane. And they said he almost fell out because he didn't understand being that high. He's trying to wave at his friends and they had like jerk him back in the plane. And it's this really cool story. Except for about four days after this picture is taken, out steps a woman and they go to meet with her like they've done the past few days and from all sides, here comes a bunch of Wadani warriors that come and kill them to death with spears. And the only reason we have this picture is because it, their camera was found on the gravel bar. Now, here's the thing about Jim Elliott and his friends. They all had guns. But they had decided, and they talked about it, and they counted the cost, and they decided if we are attacked, we will not retaliate. And they didn't. Fast forward, one of the missionaries' sister and wife go into the same tribe, make contact, go live among them. Most of that tribe becomes believers in Christ. Actually, the person who uh, killed Nate Saint, Nate's son, developed a personal relationship with and traveled the country speaking. It's a beautiful story of redemption. Pray for those who abuse you. Now again, I'm not saying that has to be you. You don't say you have to move to some place and lay down your life. But what we must do as believers in Christ is understand that if we say we are believers, if we say we're followers of Christ, that there is a way of living that is completely opposite of the way of the world. It will not make sense to people. Because we have, I mean, we live in America. Let's just call it, how is it? We have this thing called the American way. There's actually a country song um, right after 9-11 where they said, uh, we'll put a boot somewhere and it's the American way, if you guys know that song. Like the American way is, and I'm not just saying like, culturally like military. I'm just, the American way is retaliate. You take care of your own, protect your stuff. But here's the challenge as a Christ follower, and I'm talking to you if you're a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, I must take the American way and put it through the lens of the gospel, not put the gospel through the lens of the American way. So what does this mean? for us. Jesus goes on, let's look at it, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like I can do that pretty well. I can love those that love me pretty well. 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Like, yeah, that's easy. And if you lend to those from you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love, agape, your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. You bankers are like, oh my goodness, what's that? And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful as your Father is merciful. So with passages like this, like my natural response is to figure out ways why this does not apply to me. I don't know if you found yourself doing that this morning. I think Christians have highlighters a lot of times. We can highlight what we like and what we don't like. Probably none of us have this highlighted. Like this is tough. But it's the way of Jesus. It's the way he invites us into. So what if we started asking ourselves instead of how do I retaliate? How do I protect my own? How do I get? What if the question started to be how do I agape? How do I love? So this, these teachings were, if you can imagine, were revolutionary to an oppressed people. Can you imagine as a Jew kind of feeling like for the first time, okay, I have something I can do with this. I know I can't fight Rome, but now because Jesus kind of told me what it looks like to love many men, now I feel like I have something to work with here. So here's the question now for us because we're not a conquered people. Rome's not over us. So now we have to ask, what does this look like for a group of people that are not conquered, but as a matter of fact, are on top? Or are free, who are privileged, who, who, have, who have possessions, who have freedom. Like, what do we do with this? We all have to ask ourselves that. Because this command can be very complex if we try to get too much in the details. So let's, let's take this. Give to everyone who asks. So you're telling me if my uh, uncle is an alcoholic and I show up at his place and he's drunk, and he's so drunk he can't get up out of his chair, and he's like, hey, go get me another bottle of Jack. You telling me I have to do that? No. What's the command? Agape, love. The loving thing right there might be to take that bottle of Jack and dump it upside down. Pray for those that abuse you. Love those that abuse you. So, you, so here's the reality. We have many... Um, many women in our church who have been through sexual abuse. I know we have many men. We haven't had any come forward yet because that's a hard thing for men to talk about. And so in walking with some of these people, here's the question we have to ask. What does it look like to love your abuser? Because Jesus didn't say you have to have warm fuzzies about him. He didn't even say you have to go be friends with him. And so uh, sometimes relationships can never go back to what they were before, even if they're family. But he did say, agape. Pray for them. Love them. Jesus says, hey, if someone asks for your your, your, your outer garment, give them your undergarment as well. So what do we do with this? So I'm walking downtown with my wife on date night on Thursday night, and I'm going to take her to Flame, and we're walking down, and all of a sudden this dude comes out like, hey, man, give me everything. I'm like, everything? I go, all right. What do we do with this? 
And that's why I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, here's what you do in every situation, because we could do that all day long. Here's what I'm going to invite us to, and I think Jesus is going to invite us to. What's it look like to agape those that would do you harm? So Jesus is, is, is freeing me as a believer that my, my natural flesh response will be revenge, will be self-preservation, but he's starting to talk to my heart and to free me from this idea like I don't have to respond that way. There's a different way. And that way stands in contrast to the world. And I think the hardest part about this is verse 35 Love your enemies and do good. Because I missed that until I really started studying this. Because here's what I want to say. Like, okay, I love my enemies, meaning I'm not out there talking about bad behind, behind their back. I'm not hoping they get theirs and they like, get in a car wreck on their way home. I'm not doing that. But agape doesn't just start, stop with don't want bad to happen to them. You know what the invitation is? Do good. Agape requires action. So agape is not this attitude, it's not this emotion, it's not a warm fuzzy, but it's concrete, it has action behind it. What could this look like as a believer? 2018, whether you're a college student, whether you work in a workplace every day, what could this look like? Start to live the call of Jesus. So I'm not putting myself up here as someone that does this well all the time, but I think I got it right once. I was uh, about 10 years ago, I was a school teacher in a little small town. I was a football coach, and it was, uh, it was middle school football, it was junior high football. And I had this, I'd been listening to a, a pastor kind of walk through the book of Matthew where he walks through this teaching. And I'd been, for the really first time ever, trying to wrestle what, what could this look like for me. And, uh, and so I, I was teaching and, and coaching and uh, if you guys have coached youth sports before, you know there's a couple kind of parents. There's parents whose kids are really good and they just push them really hard. There's parents whose kids are really bad and they just want them to go have fun. And then the worst kind are the parents who think their kid is really good. You've known that parent before. Like, he's going to be in the, in, in the NFL. You're like, dude, he's like four foot tall. But it was one of those parents. And there's a, little, and a kid, he's a great kid, but he was awful at football. Let's just call it what it is. He wasn't going to play very much, except for when we were really far ahead, I'd put him in and run the ball opposite direction from him. It's just, it's just real. That's just how it works. Well, I find out that his mom was getting a group of parents together, trying to sign a petition, a petition, petition to get me fired because I was showing favoritism by not playing her son, who was way better than all the other kids. Remember that, Right way better than all these other kids. You're not playing him. It's just because you don't like him. So she started getting a petition together. And I heard about that. And every bit of me wanted to be like, all right, let's go. I'll go take care of this. But I've been listening to this teaching, kind of wrestling with it. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Well, then a few days later, she starts showing up to practice. And for several weeks, showed up to practice with a video camera, filming all of practice, trying to find anything she could where she could have video evidence to get me fired. Now, it's a closed practice. It's school grounds. I had every right to go up there and say, ma'am, you need to leave. This is a closed practice. That's what I wanted to do. But I kept telling her, I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And so instead, I mean, I'm wrestling through this passion. Instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can 
just to pour into that kid. So I started doing that. And I started asking to help me with things. I started investing in his life. Um, he started coming to our church, to our youth group. And man, every time I saw him, oh, Nick gave him a big hug. And I started investing in that little kid. Well, fast forward a few months, uh, football's over. His mom and dad start coming to our church. They become believers. Fast forward a year down the road. I'm working at this little small town church and some people want me to be their youth minister and they wanted to pay me. And so I think it's like 50 bucks a week. It's like a little bitty church. And of course, there were some people in the congregation, oh, we don't need a youth minister, all that. And there's this business meeting. If you guys have been to business meetings, don't go. If you've, we don't have business meetings here for that reason. They're awful. It's just, oh, I think this. Well, I think and it's awful. And so there's this discussion going back and forth. And all of a sudden I see this hand over on the right side. I'll never forget it. And this lady stands up. You know who it is? It's his mom. And she says something effective. I've watched Daniel invest in these kids and I think the best thing we could do would be to pay him and let him even do this more. And they did. You know what I learned through that? That this command of God, this command of Jesus, it's for our joy. Like, here, here's what I learned. This was, a, this was a big moment for me. Because it started to teach me like the way of Jesus is the best way to live. Because I could have had that altercation in the field and I would have loved every second of that. But God do, was doing something way bigger. Verse 35, Jesus tells us why this is the case. He says, for your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Now, here's what I don't think he's saying. Well, I know he's not saying this. If you do these things, you'll get a reward. It's heaven. You'll get a mansion one day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as people who are followers of Jesus, understand, get a bigger perspective. Understand, this life is temporary, and there is a bigger reward. There's a bigger purpose of what God's doing. But when he says reward, I don't think he's just talking about heaven. I think he's talking about our daily interactions with people and starting to see communities transform because of agape love. I think that's what he's talking about. Because here's what I learned several years ago in that church is my reward was full. There was a deeper joy. But look what he does. This is, this is brilliant. And Jesus will always do this. Your reward will be great. So he's just given this, this command. It's like, gosh, what do, how do we do this? But look what he says. You'll be sons of the Most High. He's going to point us right back to God. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So how do I do this? How do I get even come close to loving my enemy? I have a right view of God. That's how I do it. Because I understand that God is generous that God is agape, that God's love for me is scandalous. You know why? Because I slapped him in the face. Anyone else? I cursed him. I said, I want nothing to do with you, but he pursued me with agape love. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's not going to say, hey, do this and give you some big load to carry. He's going to say, no, do this. Why? Because that's how God is. Be as your God is. That's what he will tell us. When I have a right view of God, and I understand that I was an enemy once and that God loved me with agape love and free me. There all of a sudden becomes this peace that overcomes me that says, I do not have to get revenge. Why? Because God is just. 
And my little justice I'm going to add on to that is not going to do anything extra. I don't have to protect myself. Why? Because God's in control. I don't have to protect my reputation. Why? Because all things will be brought to light. That's what the Bible says. He points us right back to God. The only way, believers, the only way you can even come close to starting to live this way is to have a right view of God. Here, this is what Paul says in Romans. He'll say this. Repay no evil for evil. It's, Paul's taking on this teaching of Jesus. He's going to tell it what it looks like um, for these believers now. But give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Ready? Here we go. He's going to point us to God. Believe it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. See what Paul does? He says, listen, here is the command, agape. Why do it? He points us right back to God. It's a right view of God. Because I love justice until I'm the one that needs mercy. And what Jesus wants to see is we're the enemy. God extended mercy to us. And now let us do the same. Be as your God is. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? So this is, this is a passage in the Bible that's very heavy on the imperatives, which that means a lot of things like we need to do this, bless, pray for, all those things. Now here's what your tendency may, may, may be to do is to take this list and say, oh man, I've got to do this, 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 and this, and trying to do that to earn your way to God. That's jacked up. We don't want to do that. Here's what we say. We look at this command to forgive our enemy and we're like, okay, I'm out. Check. I've messed that up. Anyone else in this room? Therefore, because I'm messed this up, I can't do this perfectly. Let me not lean on my own willpower, my own religious effort. Let me turn to Jesus, receive mercy and forgiveness. Understand now that his character is one that extends agape love. And now all of a sudden I become free to live this way to others. You see how that works? It's not, okay, go do this. If you do it well, you'll be a good Christian. That's not what he's saying. See your need for Jesus, understand your identities in him, and then live in response. And great will be your reward. So I, I tell you this, I know it's a broken record. I tell you this over and over and over. Jesus is not after you're just begrudging submission. You're just, fine, I'll do it. I'll go be nice to my boss, even though he's a jerk. He, he's not after that. He's after your joy. He's after your freedom. And here's the question now we have to ask. Do I believe him? Like, do I believe for my joy, Jesus gives me opportunity to let go of revenge? Do I believe that's for my joy? Do I believe that for my joy, Jesus will say, let go of evil, don't retaliate? Because laying in bed at night trying to think of how to get back on my enemy is so life-giving. He's inviting us into a deeper way of living, to freedom. Paul, let me close it like this, verse Galatians 2.20, Paul will close it like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ, Christ who lives in me. Let me tell you something, believers. If you say you're a believer, 
Like that's our calling. I know this comes way against what we want to do. It comes way against what our culture values as the right thing to do when someone comes to get you. But here's what Paul will say. Listen, if you're a believer, you signed up for this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You respond like this with agape, it takes a ton of faith in the Son of God. I have faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So again, he points it back to God. So here's my prayer for us. Again, I'm not gonna tell you what this looks like for you, but probably when I said, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute, probably a face came across your mind. Probably a name came across. If it was your spouse, come to the marriage conference, sign up today. That's the enemy that you thought of. Probably someone came across your mind. Here's my question to you, and I think Jesus' invitation, what does agape look like in that situation? And how might that transform that relationship and the relationships around you? For someone, talk to someone after the first gathering. For them, it's a family member. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it is your next door neighbor. What's that relationship? And now, how do you do good? How do you act with agape?